0: Yet another exciting episode on Tuesday night. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, I'm sitting in the studio of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, behind the broadcast desk. And in his study on the phone line is Pastor Murphy. Good evening,
1: Pastor. Um, good evening, Pastor Nathan, and good evening to those who may be listening to the program. Soon.
0: The reason that Pastor is on the phone line, as you probably remember from last week, or if maybe you just tuned in, you can probably even come to the conclusion on your own, but it's a result of COVID-19, and so he is on the phone line, but we still are looking forward to an interactive program tonight. Now, before we get to the topic tonight... We're continuing our topic from last week. We have two questions that we are returning to from last week. And, Pastor, the first question that we are returning to is the following. When God comes to separate the goats from sheep, what difference between what's the difference between the two? Well, if you
1: read the passage in Matthew chapter 25, there's a chance to interview it. And you'll notice that it comes as a sequel to Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew chapter 24 has to do with the tribulation period uh, when God is going to judge Israel and we find Israel put in the crucible. And so that Israel, as Paul points out in the book of Romans, uh, the remnant is going to be saved. You'll notice that after that event, uh, he tells about this uh, particular gathering of the Gentile nations. Uh, the word that is used there, by the way, uh, when he judge the sheep in the goat. they are told that they're Gentiles. That word uh, is the Greek word ethnos, and that's a Greek word that's translated 64 times in the New Testament nations, and 93 times just translated uh, Gentiles. So we're here dealing with the Gentiles who have come out of the tribulation period uh, when Christ returns at the second coming. You notice that when the Son of Man comes then he will take the, uh, judge the nations, and he will separate the sheep from the goat. And then we're, we're told in that particular passage, uh, basically, that Uh, Depending on the treatment of Christ's brethren, uh, that would be be the deciding factor whether these people go into the millennial kingdom or not. Uh, And so it has to do with the Gentiles who come out of the nation uh, during the tribulation period who have responded uh, to the message of the Jewish evangelists. It's interesting, uh, Nathan, that this same place where they're going to be judged Uh, If you read Joel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, you'll find that Joel uh, tells us exactly where these nations are going to be judged, and he called it the Valley of Jehoshaphat. I don't know if you could just read that, Joel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2.
0: Give me just a second
1: to... Daniel, Jose, and then Joel. You can find Daniel, Jose, and then Joel. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 you'll find a the reference there to this, this same judgment's going to take
0: place. Okay, what's the reference in Joel? Joel
1: chapter 3, verse 1
0: and 2. Joel chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them onto, into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Yes.
1: That's, that's the same type of, that's the same period, but they're told that you're going to gather them now in a specific location called the, the, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Interesting, by the way, that the word uh, Valley of Jehoshaphat, the word Jehoshaphat means the Judges. And if you read uh, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, uh, it seems as though that when our Lord returns uh, and he, His people stand in the olive, of Olives, we learned from Zechariah, a valley is going to be created uh, outside of Jerusalem, and it's believed that this is what is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. If you look at Zechariah 14, verse 4, and if you can read that for the for the audience, uh, you see a reference there to this particular valley being created, and the Lord's foot steps down on the Mount of Olives.
0: And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Yeah,
1: that, that is the, the is to be where the valley of judgment is going to be, uh, Jehoshaphat, sorry, the, the, the judgment of God. Um, so this is something that is yet futuristic. If you read um, Matthew, the passage that was um, alluded to, You'll find that this judgment occurs after the Lord returns in the second coming. Um, Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. If you read that, you'll see that this is when the judgment occurs there that they're referring to. Then shall the
0: king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, If you read that passage and you read the, the, the verses before, you find that when the Son of Man comes, uh, then he will be going to make this, this judgment. But if you also, um, I believe that this has basically to do with the response to the message that these um, Jewish evangelists are going to carry to the uttermost part to the world. Remember, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 to 17 talks about the Lord sealing 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. And he would send them on a mission of global evangelism you remember in Matthew chapter 24 it says, the gospel of the kingdom is preach in all nations and then come up the end. And that's what referring to. It's not referring to the church accomplishing world evangelism. It's referring to the, to the same period where these Jewish um, evangelists, 144,000, will be sent to carry the message that the kingdom of God is about to be set up. Like when our Lord came, uh, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and when John came, and because the Jews rejected uh, his, his kingdom message, then you have the church age coming in, as it were. Uh, but those evangelists who are going to carry this message to the kingdom, the treatment that they receive okay. during this time of evangelism is what this whole, um, this whole judgment in, in Matthew chapter 25 is all about, how they respond to the message that is carried by these hundred and forty four thousand. The reason why I say that as well, uh, if you look at um, <coughs> in Joel 3.2, and then you look at Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 20. You'll find that this has to do with Israel at the center of God's program and, uh, and God sending the message to the kingdom and to the Gentile nations at the end time. And how they treat these evangelists uh, will determine whether or not they're going to the kingdom. That's why the question is asked. I was, I was hungry and you fed me. Uh, I was in jail and you visited me. And they said, well, when did we do that? But this has to do with a response, the, the Gentile response to the evangelism of the, of the, uh, that going to the 144,000, go into the end time to carry the, the gospel that came into the end of the earth. Uh, and that is why in Revelation chapter 7 as well, it talks about a, a, a great multitude which no man can number as a result of the ministry of these 144,000. And this has to do with all these Gentiles coming from all these Gentile nations who responded positively to that particular message. Our Lord separates the ones that are not saved, and some are sent into all the darkness, and others are brought into the kingdom. The ones that responded positively to the message, that's where separated sheep from the goat. Uh, those that are Gentiles that responded the message, uh, into the kingdom. Those that rejected are uh, cast into hell. But you find that uh, in the same book, there, Matthew chapter 25. So the sheep of the goat. Really has to do with separating the believing Gentiles that received the message of the anti-message from the hundred and forty-four thousand, and who treated these evangelists, uh, and the way they treat them is in, in indicative of the fact that they believe in the message. You remember Rahab? Uh, right. How she she demonstrated her faith, and the book of James says did not Rahab hide the spies, showing that she had faith, uh, and I think that it goes back to that same kind of a scenario. Their response to the message of the 144,000 is an indication of the fact that they protect these Jewish evangelists. They they, they they help them and feed them and when they were hungry to give them something to eat and, and water. That kind of response is an indication just like Rahab believed that the spies uh, hit the spies because he believed that God had given the um, Jericho uh, to the Jews. It's a similar uh, uh, matter there where they're... they're their, 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 their actions and their response is indicative that they have faith. Because the Lord describes them, then should the righteous go into the kingdom. So these are righteous people, but righteousness in the scriptures is never achieved as a result of, of works. It's always received as a result of faith and trust in God. But the works follow that, and the works that a person does indicate that they have a true, authentic faith. And that's why they're described as a righteous and we know from Scripture that no man is made righteous by actual uh, works that he does, but because he's a righteous person believing by faith, he demonstrates by his works that he has true genuine faith. And I think that's the same scenario that we have here in Matthew chapter twenty-five, just like Rahab demonstrated their faith by hiding the spies, believing that God had given the city of Jericho to the Jew, to the Jewish uh, uh, people that were coming in. Uh of these evangelists are accepted, they're treated, and protected, and fed, and clothed and visited in prison because the Gentiles uh, accept their message, etc. That is the explanation that um, is the most viable one in my judgment. Uh, and since it occurs when our Lord returns to the second coming, clearly it has to do with those who were there, prior to his coming, which has to do with the tribulation period. And if you connect that with, uh, with uh, Revelation chapter seven, where these evangelists, Jewish evangelists, sent into all the world to carry the gospel of the kingdom, uh, you'll see that, that it, it makes sense that they are now rewarded by like going into the kingdom as a result of the treatment of these uh, Jewish evangelists.
0: Pastor, that verse that says that the gospel will be preached in every land. I believe it's in and Matthew then come to the end. Yeah.
1: yeah that's uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen. So,
0: could one stand on the belief that if there are unreached groups in the world, that you could let your guard down and say, "Well, the rapture is not going to happen tomorrow because no one's preaching the gospel to this tribe in the Amazon?" No, the
1: church has a mandate to reach the entire world, uh, and that is that. That is still the mandate. That uh, as a matter of fact, I was speaking to a gentleman in Lane today uh, who goes to another church. And he was lauding all the things that they are accomplishing. And I asked him, Well, tell me about your missions program and in truth in fact they have no missions program. And uh I mean this was like he had found a unique group in, in uh, and they seemed as though that they've got all these pluses going for them, all this positive thing going and uh, I, I, I you know I was listening very carefully and I think he had a lot of good things to say, but then I, I tossed in that spanner and I asked him one question, I said, Well, you know I, in light of all that you're telling me, what is your mission program? Uh, do you have missionaries, you support missionaries. And he was stunned, uh, was completely silent on that. And that gives you an indication that the church has become insular and the church has begun to focus on itself and on the believers and forgotten the mandate that was given in terms of uh, carrying the gospel. But the church uh, mission, the primary mission of the church is world evangelism. So this is not an excuse for the church not trying to fulfill its mandate. Uh, but we all know uh, that God has a program that during the tribulation period is still going to try to reach those that are unreached. But this is not no incentive for us, because um, how can that be in any way dissuade us from trying to carry the gospel or trying to support missions? Because think if we don't know when the Lord is going to return. We don't know when this program is going to be enacted when the rapture will occur think of the amount of people that need to be reached prior to that. But it's not a disincentive um, in terms of uh, what missions is. And we cannot be a disincentive when we have a mandate, clear mandate from Christ to go into all the world of gospel, and preach the gospel to every creature. So I hope nobody perceives that as an indication that because uh, it's going to happen in the future of the Jewish evangelists, Therefore, no, we must serve God in our generation, and we must respond to the truth that God has given to us. So we must not use... Uh, even things to come as a basis for inactivity. We've we'll been given a clear mandate, and we must carry that mandate because the commanding chief has ordained that we do this.
0: You're listening to That's Truth, a live interactive program. Pastor Murphy is the one answering the questions. And we are covering questions that came in last week. And then we're going to jump into questions that come in tonight and continue our topic from last week, which is that of loneliness. Something that probably all of us, to some degree, have felt since the COVID-19 quarantine effect. Uh, Measures have gone into effect. Uh, Maybe it's just loneliness because you haven't seen those friendly faces of church members at church for a couple of weeks or a month. Maybe it's loneliness because, believe it or not, you feel lonely. You haven't been able to go to work. But no matter what it is, we're going to discuss the biblical worldview on loneliness and how we can get through it. Pastor, we have another question that has come in. Uh, this is from last week, and it is a WhatsApp from Anguilla. Good evening, Pastor. I know the Bible does not contradict itself. Can you please compare Mark sixteen thirteen? And Luke 24:33, it seems as if in Luke, the Cleopas and the others did not have to tell the eleven because they had already seen him and believed. Let me just read those two verses, and then I'll throw it to you for an answer. Mark 16:13 says, "And they went and told it unto the residue; neither believed any of them." And Luke 24:33 says and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them.
1: I think if the first remember uh, we we'll do a careful study uh, of these appearances of Christ, the post-resurrection appearances. Um, I think was was um, discover quite frankly that there are uh, actually well uh, post-resurrection appearances of our Lord. Excuse me, I'm just a
0: minute, Pastor. Uh, did you maybe move your mouth in relation to the the phone or something? I was having a little harder time understanding. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you much better yeah, now. Thank so. you.
1: Uh, I, I was saying that if you, the person that asked that question, um, if they were to take a um, maybe a, you uh, compare the gospels uh, and they look at the references, uh, they will find that there are actually twelve post-resurrection appearances in the scriptures, and they will find that uh, the, the one that he mentioned, the one that Mary, and then the one that the disciples, Emmaus, um, he, his argument was that since Mary went and told the disciples, there was no need for uh, three of us, uh, one of the persons and the wrote to Emmaus to go and tell the disciples. But if you read it very carefully, in Mark chapter 16, it is said that when Mary Magdalene went and told the disciples about this, they did not believe. And so uh, and, and again, remember that these disciples, our Lord has told them again and again during his earthly ministry, that he would die and be crucified and researched and but it never it never clicked. it never dawned on them uh, the message, basically. And then um, after that, in the same passage we told that the two disciples and what did and they went and he told the residue, and he told again in verse 13 that they did not believe. So our Lord had to, again and again, try to get, break this bridge of unbelief in respect to the resurrection. They didn't believe Mary, and they didn't believe the two disciples. And that is why uh, 12 different times he appears to these disciples again and again, Because we tend to forget that unbelief uh, can be so entrenched in a person's mind that it takes a lot of down that wall of unbelief. What I uh, have concluded, by the way, is that uh, if you read the accounts uh, of the post-resurrection account, there seem to be certain apparent uh, discrepancies, but these apparent discrepancies really, are, it's real evidence that there was no collusion between the writers and the witnesses. Uh, there is a core uh teaching that is there that christ has resurrected but there, there are some secondary uh issues that uh that people are reporting it's like you and i uh, are four other people witnessing an event you're going to see details that i don't think are important and you're going to include that in your your, your report i'm going to say something and you would say, i didn't you didn't mention so-and-so because so-and-so was not important to me but that person may be connected to you in some way. I think that's exactly what you have here. So there are multiple independent uh, witnesses that attest to our Lord's resurrection. Uh, and that is why it's so important to understand why he had to appear so so frequently. So Mary appeared and told them, and she, the Bible says in verse 11, they did not believe. The two disciples on the way to the mails, they went and told the other residents, and they did not believe. And then we're told that um, he appeared a week later. Uh, to the disciples. And uh, so, if you want all of the appearances, the sequence in which they appeared, the first appearance was a mirror. You find that in Matthew, John chapter 20, verse 10 to 18. And by the way, it's interesting that three things that emphasize again and again in each, each post resurrection appearance that they saw, they heard, and they somehow touched or they somehow felt. And, and that is why John, for example, in the book of First John begins his epistle saying, That which we have heard, which we have seen, and which we have handled. So they, they're saying that we could not have been deceived, this is not a hallucination. We had visible, tangible, audible proof that this was the real Christ that was resurrected. And that is why so much emphasized again and again. In every case where he appeared is that they saw him, they heard him, and somehow they, 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 they either touched him. So when Mary first saw him, she saw him, she heard him, and she touched him. And then uh, he appeared also to the women, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 to 10. And we're told three things about them: that they saw him, they heard him, and they touched him. And then after that, he appeared to Peter. Um, Paul talks about this in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nine, that he appeared to Peter. Uh, Mark chapter six, verse seven, and John chapter twenty, verse three to nine, references that uh, they were told that say uh, tell Peter the Lord had risen. And then we learn from First uh, Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse nine, that he appeared to Peter. Before fourth appearance was on the road uh, to, to Emmaus, that is found in Mark 16, verse 12, and Luke chapter 24, verse 13 to 34. We're told three things about it then again. They saw him, they heard him, and they ate with him. And then he appeared to the tent in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 to 49, and then John chapter 20, verse 19 to 23. And we're told four things. They saw him, they heard him, they touched him, and they ate with him remember when he first appeared to the 10 Judas was not there and so in John chapter 20 the 6th appearance he appeared to the 11 and Judas was there Thomas was there sorry uh, when Thomas uh, said you know if you didn't touch him and so the Lord appears to the 11th in John chapter 20 that's his 6th appearance and again three things they saw him they heard him they touched him and then in John chapter 1 he appeared to the 7th when Peter said I go fishing he was distraught and he appeared to them and we're told four things there they saw him they heard him they stayed with him, and they ate with him. Notice again, it's hearing, seeing, and somehow touching, or eating with him. In other words, this is not a mirage. This is not a hallucination. Uh, we have audible, visible, uh, tangible proof that this was Christ, and he was not just a phantom either. We touched him. He ate with us. And then in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 and to 20, and Mark chapter 16, we have him appearing the eighth time uh, to the commission the disciples, the go into the world and preach the gospel, and they're told that they saw him and they heard him. And then in ninth appearance, we're told in Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, he appeared to 500 at one time. And Paul said a great deal of these people were still alive. He's trying to authenticate that the resurrection of Christ is a historical fact, and they are credible witnesses, and they're independent, multiple witnesses that could verify that Christ has actually risen. And then in Corinthians chapter 7, 15, verse 7, they're told he appeared to James, and then in Acts chapter 1, which is the 11th appearance, he, uh, when he was about to ascend, he met with him, and then when he was lifted up by the clouds, and last, uh, Paul said in Acts chapter 9, and Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 8, last of all, he appeared to me. And we have that account with the Apostle Paul saw the risen Lord. So you've got 12 different appearances of Christ after his resurrection, all designed to show there was no collusion. That is why you have these unique details that, the apparent contradiction, but when you, when you look at them and put them in sequential order, you begin to see that uh, there's a reason why it had to witness them again and again because they were so steeped in unbelief. I mean, you can just imagine um, who has ever seen somebody raised from the dead? Uh, so it was so incredible, even though they were told this story, so they had to be pounded into their mind until finding the evidence of this hope of a wedding that, of course, it was transforming so that they carried this gospel to the end of the world, preaching the resurrection of Christ in the book of Acts almost every way got even though they were mocked uh, on this subject. Uh, it was so concrete in their mind. They're seen, they're heard, they're touched, they're eaten with this one. There's not a delusion, there's not a phantom. This is indeed the reality of Christ. So I'm saying to the person who asked the question, when you compare the two, you find that the reason why... The two had to go and, and, and witness to the disciples, again, because they did not believe Mary. And the two appeared, they went, and even when they told the disciples they did not believe us, and when the Lord appeared to the 10, the eleven, and uh, ten of them, sorry, and uh, Thomas was not there. still Thomas said, unless I see him, and he had to appear another time with the level where Thomas was there, and he said, unless I and then the Lord said, touch me and feel me. So it's all uh, designed, and, and for our good as well, that we have not followed currently defined tables. The, the historicity of Christ's resurrection is one of the uh, soundless historical facts in ancient history. There is no other historical event with as much evidence as the resurrection of Christ. And I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's good that these things are included in the scriptures, to let us know that this unbelief had to be knocked down and only the evidence, tangible empirical evidence uh, was able to send Jesus that his disciples to understand
0: the law is wisdom. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program, Is That's Truth, a live interactive program. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Maybe something that has been on your mind over the last few days, maybe it's been on your mind for years, and you're wondering what the Bible says about a particular topic or what it doesn't say about a particular topic. We would love to hear from you and answer your questions from a biblical worldview. There are multiple ways you can interact with us. The first way is Facebook Live. You can comment on the video feed or you can WhatsApp or text your question to the following phone number 1-268-782-1454. I'll give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked and get it typed into your contacts. WhatsApp or text your question to one 1- 268 782 1454. Pastor, we have two questions that have come in from Nevis. The first one is, or the message reads, Good evening, Nathan and Pastor Murphy and listeners. Two questions for this evening. Is all sin evil?
1: All sin evil? Yeah.
0: Is all sin evil?
1: Well, um, All sin is evil in the sense that it is an offense against God's moral law. Um, So there is no no sin that is not offensive to God. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but God doesn't tempt anybody to sin. And because of God's character and God's nature, and the law of God, by the way, is an expression of God's character, Uh, all sin is offensive to God. There's no doubt about that i the next
0: one. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking about that evil thing. I suppose some people and I'm not saying that this is what the listener is asking, but mm-hmm. I know some people would uh define evil as a very grievous sin like murder or rape mm-hmm. or that type of thing. So Well uh, that's
1: that one the probably has uh today that that is why some things, uh something uh I mean I don't think that every set is equal. Okay. Uh, in, in the sense because Clearly, they are, if we approach that, it would mean that everybody would go to the same place and there would be no degree of punishment. But there are degrees of punishment because they judge according to a deed. A person like Satan is not going to judge a person uh, who may be uh, committed, a, you know, what was call, by sin. Uh, his destiny is far, far more severe. But all, all sin is attended to God. Um, God hates him um, So it, I mean, it, that's it. I hope that helps the person understand that. The other thing is that when we begin to categorize these types of sins, we somehow you know, we always we in our churches, for example, everybody thinks that these the big sins of fornication of adultery. I mean those are the big sins. But uh those things are classified with sins like blame, uh things even bugging mean, Nobody talks about God, nobody talks about uh greed. Uh but yet the Bible calls uh covetousness, idolatry. Uh, so I think it, it doesn't help uh, mainly because these things are things that can be seen, these say that we make these major things. So but these things really are not trying to, uh, be, uh, in any way, um, you know, mitigate these things as, as not being wrong. But I am, uh, not, you know, but I'm saying that we're very, probably very, very careful that in all categorizing sins, that we ignore the sins of the spirit and we focus mainly on the sins of the flesh. And there are sins of the spirit that the Bible. There is as well as sins of the flesh. But all sins, irrespective of the offense to God.
0: The second question is: Considering the time that we are right now, with lots of people not working and the church not allowed to physically assemble. What are your views on the tithe and offering at this time? Well, wow, what a good question, and a question that a month ago, two months ago, we wouldn't have even considered as a, <laughs> a question. But what do you think, Pastor?
1: Well, my, my own judgment on that I mean, I got my tithe to still to the church, so it, it, it's not, I don't think that that in any way affects uh, my giving. Uh, so I feel that if the person has, um, you know, were pay for whatever I think it's a good the they have. It might be that they might lose a job for a while, or it might be for you know, and, and immediate time, they have to be clear because you, you pay the on your income. Um, but I don't think that it's an excuse not to give it to the and I don't think that's the answer, because we still got to support missionaries, we still got to support uh, the pastor, if he's there, uh, the youth there, or whoever. But so we still have certain obligations. I'm hoping that we'll be able to we sort of have to uh, normalize situations of them very soon even if we have to use back in the church because i don't like being able to touch physically with the, the congregation. i am mean, uh, not a person for this visual practice where you use the computer and stuff like that i think that i don't think you can have the same emotional uh, attachment you can have the same uh, sympathy with each other just speaking virtually on, on television or, 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 or the internet or whatever it is so i hope that this very, very soon that we can return to some kind of normalcy where we actually meet each other, greet each other, etc. But uh the you know, end in unusual times, we uh, have to see exactly what's going to really happen. But I, I don't think it's an uh, excuse for people not getting um, to the, the program because the church still has to go on. The church mission will have to go on. The church mission programs will have to go on. The church, um, to go on. Uh, there are many people on the mission field depending upon us. And then it's not like they're having a regular salary like we would not even have one. So some of them are very dependent on us being able to send obvious But for them. They've actually gone into the mission field believing and trusting that they have a support line uh, that would help us them sustain itself. because a lot of them who are going to the Democratic the work cannot work. Uh, it's illegal for them to work in, in that part of the world. So they have to have support from somewhere. And that's where churches have pledged, uh, committed themselves to their support. I so don't think we should stop that. But again if your income has been um, eliminated uh or decreased i think that it will affect your capacity
0: to give and i think the church has to face that reality pastor i was having just a little bit more uh, trouble understanding you toward the end of that so i don't know if the microphone moved or anything but um, okay. i had a question that someone i saw someone post online and they were very confident in what they were saying i want to get your thoughts from a biblical perspective in relation to the church they were saying this is where the church needs to be Uh, we shouldn't have shouldn't be investing in church buildings and properties we need to sell that and give it to the church uh, give it to the ministries of the church and we just need to save money and meet online from now on is that a biblical model
1: well, sense to say not together, that so that immediately.
0: But can I gather together on on Facebook or on a video, and I'm still gathering together? I I, I, I don't
1: I, look, I don't think that there's any possibility of the church not being uh, uh, um, coming together as a group, and not only for the sake of socializing, uh, but we we cannot allow the modern trend. uh, um, how should I put it Uh, to affect the capacity for believers to have fellowship together and fellowship is not just I calling and you calling you talk about uh, uh, intimate face to face Uh, that is a typical concept of fellowship Uh, if you read any of the as a matter of fact this thought would never actually occur to any of the the apostles or any of the writers of the Bible because they could never conceive of this, this this particular thing so we can't we can't change scripture to accommodate the, the modern trend. We have to. Uh, uh, well, we must use modern technology to get the gospel out. It's not designed to in any way destroy the biblical concept of believers coming together, in fellowship, and praying around the word. Uh, I think this is a trend that I always thought was dangerous. I didn't even like it before it started because what some people were doing was staying home and listening to uh, other preachers rather than going to the church and listening to preachers. And I think that was the downfall of the, the technology. Um, I saw the trends happening eventually because I saw people not coming to church uh, even on Sunday nights. There are people who would prefer to listen to some other person and come and listen to, to the pastor. I, I think that is one of the, the, the negatives when it comes to the whole matter of uh, technology. But technology is useful. but so We must not allow the technology in any way to destroy the difficult concept of fellowship and uh, church meeting together.
0: As you were talking, I was just remembering or envisioning the early church in the first couple hundred years there, um, hiding in the catacombs, meeting in homes, yeah, uh, yeah, hiding yeah. from the Roman authorities, yeah. and yeah. they, if they, if anyone had an excuse to not gather together, they definitely had an excuse to not and, gather
1: together. To- in all modern times, I mean, the Chinese church, for example, I mean, I told that there were 500, 50 million Chinese Christians, they had to be Some of them meet in forests, some of them meet in caves, some of them meet in homes, uh, and they're different parts of the world, especially the Arab nations, where people have to be in secret. I mean, they understand the importance of fellowship and the importance of personal contact. You lose something, and I think everybody will realize that you lose something if you don't have personal contact. Uh, We become more robotic, and we lose that, that social instinct that we have. In the long term, I think that is detrimental to the church because your sympathy and your feelings, normally, are more pronounced when you see persons, and talk to persons, interact with persons. You can talk to person on the phone and never really understand the depth of their problems, the depth of their needs. You meet them face to face and facial features, non-verbal uh, ways communication, say a lot, of, a lot that you that even you will never even pick up on the phone or pick up on the internet. Uh, so I, I don't think that the answer is to sell off church property and sell off this and go the next. So I don't think that's the answer. Um, and that would be a denial of our work 2,000 years of Christian history, to be honest with you. I know we're going into a different age, but the, the, the age we're going into it is in the DNA, the age that is, uh, the Bible says, uh, a lukewarm group uh, that uh, just looking only at resources, and really, not the human element in this at all. You read in the Book of uh, Revelation, dealing with the final church, you find their great books is that they have this and they have the next. And there's nothing about the the human aspect and human capital and of the church, etc. So, I don't think that's the answer for that question. And the other thing I was saying is that that has been very detrimental to the church is the, the uh, people starting little churches in their homes, or them sell churches. That in itself has, has robbed the church of uh, uh, a body of people that should be coming together for prayers and intercession. And those little churches that meet in homes, I mean, they cannot fulfill the, the, the Commission in terms of supporting missionaries and stuff like that. It's so almost virtually impossible. You need a body of people who able to give the resources. So we, and we can't, I mean, a church may not be able to send somebody in the mission field because they don't have a complete uh, practice in terms of finance but 10 churches can be can, uh, sending I an mean, individual overseas and supporting an individual. I don't see these uh, small uh, groups coming together having any kind of real mission emphasis. It normally ends up in both cases where you become insular and your whole focus is on your, 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 your little group. And, and I would say this as well, it no longer becomes a evangelistic ministry, it becomes a worship ministry. Both of these churches become worship centers and don't become evangelistic centers because everything is focused on the, the believers and they lose that. And you think about it, they tend most of the churches are founded as a result of the evangelistic trust. As soon as they found founded and they begin to develop, uh, they go into this worship mode where everything is centered on the, the church itself as opposed of outreach ministry. I see that happen again and again. The so they want fancy this and fancy that. They're no longer even content with a simple place in the community. Wants the new place that they want. They don't want a little plastic company. Around. They want maybe a gold or a little chalice or something. It, it, it keeps adding, and then they want flowers, and then they want this, and then they want the next. Then it goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on. And goes on. When church worship now becomes extensive, center, Evangelism is present beside me. I've seen that happen again and again, and we got to be careful because that happen
0: to us. Pastor, we have two more questions that have come in. Sure. A WhatsApp from Bendel's Antigua. Greetings to you in Jesus' name. I would like you to explain to me 1st Samuel chapter 18 and verse 10. Have a blessed night in Jesus' name. Amen. 1st Samuel 18, 18 10, 10, Yes, and that says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand.
1: Mm-hmm. Well it is clear that the apostles I mean that uh, Saul there with David, uh, he was provoked by a spirit of jealousy. Angry. Uh, David was doing quite well for him until he heard the people singing the song, you know, Saul is playing the David David ten thousand, and then David became a martyr and his each other though David's strength of he was thunder, and David was winning the hearts of the people, and he became very envious and jealous of David. And that then him into a spirit where he became invigorated, angry, and wanted uh, to kill David. And we're told that uh, what happened in that case is that an evil spirit was allowed by God, basically, that's what it really means, to uh, interfere in Paul's life. In Paul's life, uh, God gave permission. For that spirit to be able to trouble exalt. Uh, uh, I don't know if you recommend this or not, but it's very, very clear when you read the book of Daniel and you read uh, the book of Matthew that we're living in a, in a world where there's a spiritual warfare not be seen. the satanic the powers of the internal enemy status and the divine uh, supernatural powers, which are the angels of God. And this is the sort of balance going on behind the scenes. And uh, you can be very, very sure. If you read Leopard Letters, by the way, by C.S. Lewis, interesting, modern, um, what Okay, modern, you want this old message? But the whole idea is that the demons are trying to undermine believers. Uh, they're trying to undermine the work of God. And in the case of Saul, uh, they were demonic or active. It was not just, you know, the battle is not special So was a so war that was going so on behind the scenes that Saul couldn't realize. But Saul put himself in a position where, uh, because of his bitterness, angry, and he developed a murderous spirit, that the Lord allowed, he made permission for this evil spirit to trouble. Nothing can happen to the believers or accept the Lord um, for this Remember the case of Job? He put a head around me. But then the Lord even allowed Satan uh, to have Job a previous time to set Job. So, uh, in the case of Saul, that permission was given from so evil spirit, to trouble with off. And uh, they told that, by the way, you know, when you're dealing with a uh, demonic spirit, again, that's where good music comes in because they told that when David played on the harp, uh, it was given to soothe Saul's spirits So part of this whole thing is uh, dealing with demons as well. Uh, it's it, 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 it music, certain types of music that um, are effective. But that had to do with uh, God dealing with Saul and his rebellion and his sin and on the defensive plane and becoming so entitled, so angry, so jealous, so envious that uh, David remember that Christ is coming to the land of David uh, and uh, into the Messiah is coming to the plane. Um, so permission was given to Saul, uh, Saul to be tormented by the evil spirit. God allows that. God is and He allows it. You, you'll find also another case where sometimes about gets that reference, where uh, the Lord allowed an evil spirit to go and deceive one of the uh, one of the kings. Go to battles, yeah, you're going to win. Sure, go to battles. But the intention was ultimately to lead into the God gave permission to do that. When we rebel against God and we don't listen to God, uh, God takes his hands off of our lives, and he just uh, allows these, these these forces to take uh, control. It's like in that uh, in uh, Romans chapter one, he gave them up. And he gave them up to the point where uh, they lost all moral restraint and were able to engage in all kinds of perverse activity because God took his hands off and allowed uh, uh, infernal his further spirit to be the spirit to influence people in that direction. I have no doubt in my mind if I to get off and say here that a lot of this is designed by the right. There's no doubt in my mind that request with the the uh, God taking the hand off the lives of these people and allowing uh, demonic powers to influence think thinking so that they are so deceived that they actually think that this is normal, this is right. And that's why they fight so adamantly against people who tell they're wrong because they no longer have any moral compass to go right or wrong because God is taking his hand off their life. So we've got to be very careful that we don't really deal against what's really it. And we can send it in God, and, and, and um, God can actually take his hand off of us right? and give an evil spirit to attack us and to, to influence us. That, that, that's the typical teaching there is at that Hello.
0: The name of the program is That's Truth. And if you have a question, feel free to send it in. You can WhatsApp or text it to one two six eight seven eight two one four. Five four,
1: you or know, David? yes. When you finish, uh, the thought that came to my mind is: so you remember that in, in Peter's case, the Lord told Peter, "Satan has desired to sift thee." Remember that story? If I have prayed for thee. I don't remember the incident. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's the same thing. What what we have forgotten that, that we're living in a, a world where there's a spiritual battle going on behind the scenes. I have no doubt that behind every believer and are angelic beings from God trying to influence the believers ministering spirits to those who are here to return life. But to counteract that influence, there are evil top forces working and weeding the word into our lives uh, and trying to get involved. So this battle is going on behind the scenes. And this is not something that just started in the Testament time. This started going back and continues and will continue until the Lord returns. I am under the conviction that the day our Lord returns, and if he could just be sure of a videotape of our lives, I am totally convinced we will see the, the encounter, the spiritual encounter that's going on behind the scenes in the, the war for our souls, and we will see evil spirits and this spirits engage in this battle. Uh, I think we will be completely bamboozled when we really are given the authority already take the curtain from behind the scene and a flood a flood of light. And listen, this is what your life was about. I think you're gonna discover that it's not just a flesh birth uh, battle, as the Bible said, but it is spiritual forest. I think that's what it's all
0: about. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp from Saint Martin. Good night. I was listening but I didn't get it clear. Will the dead be raptured?
1: Yes, yeah, but if I look that, uh in Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, that we will alive to be caught up together to meet them in the air and that we will not proceed. them who are dead. If dead are alive first, then we shall live to meet the Lord in the air. So all the true believers uh, that died in the Lord, when the rapture occurs, they are raised first, then we are changed and we go to, uh, with them to meet the Lord in the air. So they say the redeemed saints that have died will be raptured uh,
0: when it all returns. The time across Hello. the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.17. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. or broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, we are also on Facebook Live. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. You can comment your question. Maybe you don't have a question, but maybe you have a topic, something that you would like discussed from a biblical worldview, something that has been on your mind for a while. We are open to your suggestions. We want this program to be as practical and as effective as possible for you. And so we would love to hear your input on what topics you would like discussed. Pastor, we have a question from a caller from Green Bay, Antigua, and they would like to know, if I was walking down the road and someone came and shot me and I went to the hospital and died, would God still forgive me for my sins or would I die in my sin and go to hell?
1: Well, if you're a believer and you're walking down the road and somebody shot you and you're dying, Answer for the body, present to the Lord. The question is, are you a Christian? Uh, if you're not a believer and you're walking down the road and somebody shot you today, the uh, there's no pardon, there's no forgiveness, uh, and that is why the Bible says, seek the Lord while be found. That's what the Bible said. Now is of salvation? My only question to that person is, how many opportunities have you had? Uh, I heard the gospel message and we rejected it. Uh, You know, I'm sure that if you're an Antiguan, that God is giving you many opportunities. And that is why you need to make a decision. You can't. You don't know the day, the hour. We know that our days are numbered according to Scripture. And uh, we know that your death is in God's calendar. We don't know when. I don't know when either. And that's why it is earnest that we get the gospel out. We have lost the sense of urgency and we've become so complacent in the western world where we're so focused on the here and now and trying to get a house trying to get a car trying to get this and be looking forward towards retirement and <laughs> as a result of that all we are so distracted that we think that we're going to live 20 30 40 50 60 70 even 80 even 90. Uh, but we don't know the day or the hour and that's why it's important to get this matter settled so if you have a thought along that line it's sense to me whether or not I'm reading too much into the thing, but it, it, you're becoming very realistic that your life can end any day. It's, it's not certainty, right? And so, you to get an insurance policy, and the best insurance policy to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So, whether you live or whether you die, you secure in him.
0: Pastor, the second question is: In the beginning, God created Adam and then Eve, and then Adam told Eve that she was his wife. Now in the world, there are many people marrying and giving in marriage. Is this a sign of the coming of Christ?
1: Well, the, the book says that the, 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 uh, in the we that in the days of Noah and the days of, of Sodom and Gomorrah, we could be eating and drinking and building homes. In other words, we are in the phase of a complete materialistic world where everything is focused on the here and now. Uh, those people weren't taken of any; flood, those people weren't thinking of the rain, they had never seen rain as a matter of fact. Uh, it was just that we'll be here and now, you know, live up, enjoy life, uh, eat drink and be married to the more we shall die. They had no thought of eternity. That's the kind of state that the world is currently in, generally speaking. You take England for example, uh, which gave us the, the gospel in the sense that they were the ones that set up missionaries all over the world. You go to England and you talk to any person who is living in England, you'll find that only to, well, treat between 3 and 7 percent of people attend church. England is pretty much a pagan country. The whole of Europe is almost a pagan country. As a matter of fact, the Africans are not sending missionaries to in England and Europe, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. The whole thing has reversed. And the, the, the whole Western society, the whole, the whole Western world has become completely materialistic. It wants and about affluence. Uh, there is no regard for the things of God uh, and any great significant of With the exception of America, which still has a lot of professed believers, all the other Western countries, as a matter of fact, cannot understand how there are so many believers still in America. Uh, and I think to America's credit, uh, that that country remains a country of faith, but it is fastly slipping away from them as they get away from scripture. And now, uh, practicing things that are so contrary to God's word, like abortion, uh, over 37 million people, children have been aborted in the break since 1974. And you think of that for just a moment, the, the acceptance of homosexuality, uh, same-sex marriage, uh, I mean, all of these are things that change in American culture. Uh, but generally speaking, the whole Western world, and uh, then we're living in nowhere, nothing is supposed to be absolute, and we have what is called pluralism, everybody... Religion is saying, I mean, that, that that is, that the age we're living, are kind of a nonchalant word, never let live, uh, don't worry too much about the future eternal of eternity, get a blast and get your kick now while you're still, but, you know, we don't think of the kickback that is coming when we stand before God and give to come. So I, I do feel mm-hmm. that we're living in that stage of uh, complete hedonistic um, mindset where pleasure has become the premier purpose for living. And the goal really is, is just life. We've forgotten about eternity, we've forgotten about um, standing before God is going to come. As a matter of fact, those things so bother us that we would prefer that God didn't even exist. That is sometimes the think of the Western mind today. And um, so we're at that stage now where the main thing is to eat, drink, be married, build homes, get married, enjoy life, don't think about what is coming. And, and uh, by the way, he emphasizes this is what was portrayed prior to his coming it's uh, coming where they don't even expect, they're not even thinking about it, because there's so much focus on the here and now that they've forgotten the warnings of Scripture, that when these things begin to come to pass, look up. But uh, they're so much absorbed by looking down, they have no desire to look up. Uh, and so I think they're at that, that stage, to be very honest with you. And the church, by the way, uh, the, the state of the church is an indication that the church today is basically about entertainment. Uh, I, I don't think anybody can dispute that. But everything is about entertainment. Uh, you listen to the music, the music is the same as in the world. I listen to some songs. and a gentleman that um, lives next to me and he plays some songs. And I, I was trying to make up the lyrics. And when I discovered it was Christian's song, I couldn't believe it. It was the same beat, the same rhythm you find it in the dance. the same desire to want to move the body shape waist. And I'm saying I cannot believe that this was the stage with lyrics. But that's where we are: total humanistic society, and
0: on one thing, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Pastor, we have a question from Saint Martin. Uh, this is a follow-up from the earlier question. The Bible did not say anything about the rapture. The Bible says that all are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. John five twenty-eight and twenty-nine, and I'll read those. It says, "Marvel not at this." For the hour is come, in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Yes. You
1: know, a simple answer is that, okay? The, the biblical revelation is progressive in respect to the rapture. The person that does the most exhaustive teaching on the rapture is the apostle Paul. He's the one gives us insight into what is going to happen. When our Lord was on earth dealing with the Jewish people. Because remember, he's a the, the palestinant and a minister. He's dealing with them in the context of the Old Testament teaching about a uh, general resurrection, where you have the, 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 uh, the evil and the good. It is only the New Testament shed light on the fact that they a rapture. Uh, this is not something that we've seen in the Old Testament. There's a, a judgment coming that we know about the great white judgment that the Old Testament referred to. But it did not see, the, just like the church. The church is not mentioned in the Old Testament. The church is a mystery, one of those things that was hidden. Now, it, the church is a looming, there traits of that uh, the church in the Old Testament you can find, but in terms of understanding that it would want to be uh, a church that was considered Jew and Gentile, and uh, what would bring them together is around Jesus Christ the Messiah, not even the Jews understood that. You read the book of Acts. When the Apostle Paul turned to the Gentiles and started preaching the Gentiles, you find that even the Jewish church were offended by that, uh, so not even they understood that one body reform out of the both Jew and Gentile on this level of equality. The Jews always thought that they were God's people, and they are God's people in fact, they were chosen for God's pr- particular purpose. But they always perceived that the Jews, the, the Gentile must become a Jew and they must obey the law of Moses. I mean, all of that was something that was like completely a surprise to them when Paul started teaching that. You know, there's going to be one body, and there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. I mean, that was offended to be Jew because the Father son. it didn't do no it no entity because it was not something that was actually prophesied uh, in scripture and in any great clarity. It took the Apostle Paul and his exposition in his papers to explain uh, the mystery of the church, the mystery of the rapture. So I understand what the person is saying. The book of Daniel is referring to as well. Daniel, that verse, that he we went almost a quotation of Daniel, chapter 11, I think it is. Uh, so I do believe that our Lord is dealing with the Jews and their understanding is dealing with them on the basis of what the, what the, the prophets thought. But he never went into details about the rapture that will come. That is revelation that was later given to the Apostle Paul. Let me give you a scenario. Remember Paul uh, in Corinthians chapter 7 when he talked about marriage and he said, I, I, I say to you something the Lord did not say. Remember, because the Lord never dealt with the whole question of tangible when he was on earth, when he came to marriage. And Paul made it very, very clear. He did not something that uh, the Lord uh, uh, the Lord spoke about, but he's giving some insight uh, as to how to deal with the question of tangible. So, Revelation uh, completed in, Re- in the book of Revelation. That's when all Revelation was completed. So, between what our Lord taught in the Gospels and the book of Revelation, You've got uh, all of these epistles, 20, uh, what, 27 books in the Old Testament, uh, in the New Testament, uh, the four Gospels, one, one, one book of history, all the other epistles. All of this is truth that uh, brought greater light to things um, that were not explicitly taught in the Old Testament. In fact, they use another example of They're not trying to get off of a sentence. But take the question of, of uh, what happens to a person when they die. Part confusion with the the whole witness apart party teach them instead of their entity because they, they get their doctrine about those things from the old testament. They do not accept uh, the party teaching that answer to the body is present for the Lord and that uh, to depart is to be with the Lord. They, they say that the book of um, said that you know, when you're, you're dead, you're dead you don't understand anything. But again, if you don't understand the perspective of the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is a man writing for under the Son. the book of Ecclesiastes of uh um, um, um Solomon explaining that he's been through a dark state of he the where he lost virtually lost his faith, and he comes in how the God himself himself back to faith, but he, he, he told you all these dark periods of his life, and uh, so a lot of you find in the book of Ecclesiastes is not the final revelation on those subjects. These are a man speaking his mind, but he's going through a, a kind of a spiritual eclipse. So you've got kind of to understand the purpose of the book and the, the whole uh, design of the book. Uh, and, and, and that's so important. And I think when it comes to this whole matter, of rapture game, we've got to understand that our Lord did not give an exhaustive teaching on final things. This is left to the apostles to give all details and more details. And that's why our Lord did not mention a rapture in, in that passage. But the apostle Paul mentions it it's in the Thessalonians chapter uh, four and also at the first reading chapter sixteen, very, very clear in the mention of that the passage that the dead of Christ should rise for a family return because the dead of the dead is not here when the Lord returns to his throne. And the word rapture is not there, but the word means to snatch away. And that's what the word rapture is used. It's an English word that connotes uh, a Greek word that means to snatch away or to take away. And that's what the rapture means, to snatch away. Um, I, I think I mentioned another program that every new of truth, there always comes a parallel. And I always know this on the rapture because it occurred in the old testament. Uh, and what I mean by that, you see not those translators. And that's the same concept. It was snatched away. They couldn't find it. And that's why I have no doubt this will be a rapture. Uh, because I think that it's, it's in every New Testament you'll find some Old Testament parallels that actually would have fulfilled in a New Testament So I, I hope this person would study first, especially chapter 4, and first, read chapter 16, and see that these references are being snatched away. It's so about what we did with the rapture.
0: You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, or broadcasting on 1160 AM 92.3 FM. And online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8:31. The name of the program is "That's Truth," a live interactive program. Pastor Murphy is on the phone from his study due to COVID-19, but we are uh, we are answering your questions. And maybe you have a question or a suggested topic that you would like discussed on a future episode. We would love to hear from you. You can either contact us on Facebook Live on the video feed or you can uh, WhatsApp or text us on 268-462. Excuse me, let me give you the right number. WhatsApp or text us on two six eight seven eight two. 1454. We really appreciate the interaction that we have been having tonight. We look forward to the last 30 minutes of the program being as interactive as they have been thus far. Pastor Murphy. All right. We have, yes, uh, we we have a question uh, via WhatsApp from Anguilla. Pastor, I did some research on the promised land of Canaan and found out that Jordan and parts of Sierra and Lebanon, Syria and Lebanon, were all part of Canaan. My question is, did the Israelites not conquer the entire land that was promised to them?
1: No, never did. I think you get a program of that, by the prophecy, and I think that you'll find it. I think it's, a, I'm, I'm speaking on the correction, but there's a place in Genesis. Uh, I don't know what the chapter is speaking uh, tonight. But it's mentioned that the, the land that the Lord would give to Israel came was only a small part of it. It goes from the river the Nile up to the river Euphrates. The, those are the demarcations the, the of that great estate of the given to Israel. And Israel has never possessed that, uh, that level of, of territory. So that is why uh, we argue and keep on arguing that there has to be a millennial kingdom. Because every promise that God has ever made to Israel. And these are unconditional, unilateral uh, uh, covenants that our Lord made with Israel. And he has promised them a certain piece of real estate that they will move and control, and David's kingdom will control. That has never taken place. Uh, Under King David, the the, the territory was expanded and under Solomon, but never has Israel ever possessed the complete territory that the Bible demarcates in the book of Genesis. As far as the real estate that he's going to give to Israel, and and, and God doesn't make mistakes. Well, when God makes a promise, He fulfills His promise. So we know that the going to the His kingdom because the promises God has made to the the fathers have to be fulfilled. Uh, the, the, the problem I have with covenant theology and those who are inferring of with faith is that they have taken all of the promises that were we'll given to Israel and they'll transfer those to the church. That's a that's a mistake, massive mistake. And I think part of that is a result of not studying Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, where it, 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 it explains that Israel is still part of God's program. And the time is coming when Israel is going to be regrafted into the program. And when you come to Revelation, it, it's so, it's filled into the book of Revelation where you've got the little the witnesses of the Jews again carrying the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, so, to answer the question, um, Israel has never fully enjoyed that people really in state in terms of these um, parameters that were set by our Lord, and that is why, part of the reason why we believe that the belated kingdom is coming under this worship of Christ, we live in Jerusalem, is because those promises have to be fulfilled. Uh, I, I know, that's why we are uh, literally when it comes to a lot of the prophecies in the Old Testament, the people allegorize and, and try to make them spiritualize them, but in truth and fact, these are things that are actually going to happen. For example, when it comes to Ezekiel, the last Several chapters of Ezekiel about a temple that's going to be rebuilt. And that temple, the dimensions, that temple never been rebuilt. That temple is going to be a temple during the millennial kingdom. And of course, if you don't believe in a millennial kingdom, you will fix your eyes on uh, the last part of, of Ezekiel, allegorize it, and, and try to make it to be some kind of a spiritual meaning. But in that, part, fact, the dimensions that are given are so detailed. And that one wonders, uh, how in the world can anybody have a right that passes that? death? Uh, but a lot has to do with one's eschatology, and one's view, it's whether one is a pre-millennials, uh, are millenials, are post-millennials, whether one be a pre-trib, mid-trib, or pre-rapture. A lot of that has to do with interpretation, how you view Bible prophecy. We are pre we are pre uh persons who hold to that field. Oh, by the way, let me just say this. Because a person holds a divergent view on Bible prophecy, you know, I'm not going uh, to label that person a heretic because I realize it's a proper uh, somatic interpretation. And sometimes the church in which you're brought up in and the teaching you've God influence your mind to a considerable length of time. And unless a person becomes an independent studier of the scriptures and begins to examine the other Jews, pretty much it's very difficult to turn that person from the Jew that they've been taught all of their lives. So I understand that part of it. That's why he's never made, uh, once you by the prophecy, the entire prophecy of faithful fellowship. It's never been among uh, fundamentals in uh, uh a by which we judge whether or not a person should be um, part of a fellowship. It's never been the course.
0: Pastor, would you say that the Christians in China are justified in disobeying the government and meeting as a church, or the early church, were they justified in going against the Roman uh, Emperor Nero and meeting as a church?
1: Good question, Nathan, because it's interesting you should ask that question. Honestly, I have been studying on civil disobedience this week. Seriously. Uh, I'm not kidding you. As a matter of fact, the book I'm using uh, is a book called Christian Ethics by Norman Geisler, and I I just studied that last night, this whole matter of uh, civil disobedience. Let me say this. The the believer is
0: commanded to obey the government. All right. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We lost Pastor, but we are going to get him back on the phone as soon as possible and pick up the conversation where it was left off. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor, can you hear me? All right. We will continue to work to get him on the phone as soon as we can. As I said, we're broadcasting from the island of Antigua in time across the Eastern Caribbean and in our studios On this Tuesday evening is 839. I trust that you have been having a blessed week and have been keeping your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse so that you can be encouraged and spiritually fed, not only just from Scripture but also through music all right, room. Pastor. I've got you back on the air. Sorry for the interruption. Uh, you were saying that you were
1: reading a book by. Oh, yeah. I was reading the book by Norman Geiser on Christian ethics in regard to the matter of civil disobedience. And my argument, uh, he has a very, very good argument in there. He made reference to also Francis shakers who wrote the Christian Manifesto, and who advocated that there are times when believers should practice civil disobedience. And I agree with it. Uh, A government must be obeyed, but when that government establishes a law that is immoral or that is contrary to God, God is the ultimate rule of the universe, he is sovereign. And any law that is contrary to God's word, uh, the Christian has a legitimate right to disobey that law. So Christians are the best citizens of any country. I think think anyone that looks at church history and uh, would discover that Christians have always been loyal, even to tyrants in terms of obeying them. But one they uh, came across where they established a law that violated some basic principles, some typical truth, especially the moral law. The church has always um, took a stand and should always take a stand against those things. So the law uh, is not infallible, the government is not infallible, and government is not above God. God is the, as a matter of fact, Romans chapter 30 says that the government is a servant of God. For righteousness and for good, not for evil. And when a government begins to practice evil, or legislate law that is to say, laws that encourage evil, the church has a right to disobey and has the right to practice it,
0: civil with So, where I'm going with this, and you may see the writing on the wall here, uh, in the case where a government says you aren't supposed to meet collectively because of COVID nineteen restrictions, are we justified in? And this is a question. I'm not trying to stir up yeah, no trouble. Problem. No problem. Uh, are we justified in disobeying the government in order to meet mm-hmm. as a church, or and use the same rationale as those who in China, or do we need to just uh, abide by the government's regulations for the time being? I think
1: it's unclear until we know more about this virus and how it works until we probably get a vaccine. I think we need some. Uh, to listen to those uh, people who know it's best to medical protection. I don't think we should jeopardize the health of our members or even jeopardize the health of the public who would attend the services, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is not a government imposing saying, believers are not, we are against God, we are against worship, we are against the Bible. That's not what they're saying. They're virtually saying that we're in a situation where uh, there's so much things that we're not too sure about. This is the best knowledge that we have from the medical profession. That this virus is so contagious, we've uh, got to keep social distancing until we have some kind of a vaccine, some kind of a cure. It might be inconvenient, but we're not stopping you from... It's not like, for example, the Chinese can't go on the television or the internet in, in, in China in the case like, like what, we, what we can do here. is the government that is violently opposed to Christianity and who wants to stamp out the Christian faith. I don't think that can be said of any of the governments within the Caribbean or even America that is now putting certain restrictions for a period of time. And I think they, they're explaining to us, this is not about stopping us from worshipping God and stopping us from having, this is concern we have for the welfare of the people and the general health of the population. And I think in the case that that is right and proper for us to obey the government, I don't think we should challenge the government on that. So if they reach the point where we cannot worship the call, please, that's the difference of Paul and him altogether. I don't think they're going to reach this state. I do think that uh, it is impermanent. I think it is... Um, Disobedience. I think it you is know, um, contrary to the law that you know that they made a regulation of people going out and stuff like that. I don't think that the institution should be police said, you know, it's sort a of deadline, it's just clock. I, I think this regard is government and I can go that step. I don't think that is, I think that is, um, on I think that is being uncooked. I think that's being rude. I think that's being, um, uh, uh but i don't think there are people in the, in the government who, you know, made regulations i don't think they're christianity i don't think they want to christianity but i remember one of our members uh, the case, uh mentioned that he was at a meeting uh with the pm and some of the others at the beginning and the PM made it very very clear that he didn't want to with what the church felt at the time. And I think, to be personally, it was very little to try to interfere. But we had the we had a all um, missions conference where about, about 25 20 people attended. Uh, but there was not any regulation saying that you could do it. They had recommended it not more than 25 to see, But it was not an imposition. Now the situation becomes so great that they discovered how many people had, had an idea that had the virus. And then they were very, very concerned uh, you know, when I first heard of this playlist, uh, the Psyrus, there was a in our church who was a doctor, and I was about contribute training. And one of the things, one of my discussions I had with kids when it first began, he was told that uh, it could not be uh, transferred by um, who's speaking or who's breathing. That's when he first came on the scene. Uh, now everybody got mad because it's realizing like it, it's one of those things that should actually be in the ear as a result of talking and breathing. So it, it's one of those things that the knowledge wasn't there. Anything was there. It was hidden at first. And the government had to put no restrictions. And I understand what it is. I myself um, understand what the government is trying to do. I understand the, the discomfort that we have. I mean, we want to be put in a house. We don't want to socialize with people. I think I told you last time that the worst thing that ever was to any person is putting in solitary of even the the worst thing you ever do is to put them in solitary We are not made in isolation with social beings. I think the government understands that until there's a solution to the problem, until we find a different ways of dealing with it. I think it is wise to us suggest that this is the council of the government, knowing that it's not, they're not against religion, they're not against Christianity, and, and not to be in any way active as rebels and Create uh, uh, I don't think that is very
0: really proper thing for the Christian people. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 846 on this Tuesday evening. Pastor, we don't have any more questions as of right now.
1: Maybe so, uh, i, 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 they did, I, I, think, I think what I just said. Yeah. I was reading on the internet of one of the, uh, the pastors in, in America who uh, told me disregarded the 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 uh, the social distancing, and he said, Yeah. I mean, I mean, to my mind, that is not heroism, really. That is rebellion. And I think that, you know, I don't know, when do you stand before God and say that he's a part the government, Norman said that you're very stupid. Because if I at least understand that this is not a government that is trained in or storing oceanic, or the country, or developing people. So, but some people sometimes, it, I just see the government as the enemy of everything. I don't see government as the enemy of everything. I think there are times when uh, we just got to be wide enough to, to follow the council of those who know, especially in the case that they're going to be dealing with disease, pastors or not doctors, they don't have all the information about these types of things. Nobody, I think, who is believe leader, would, would believe that uh, that thought against doctors. Even Dr. Luke was one that accompanied all of the missionary journey. So, uh, I think we have a uh, precedent for at least uh, understanding that, you know, being a doctor, being a medical professional, um, they have a area of specific and area area of knowledge that we don't have, but it's right for us to be comfortable to them, unless they do something or say something that is contrary to some clear physical principle that violates uh, God's words. I think then we, that we need to challenge it, like take I mean, that might... We you know that the Bible says life begins at conception. It doesn't matter who screams that it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter which doctor, which scientist, or whoever says that. The Bible is very, very clear that life begins at conception, and God is the one who gives life. So the believer will always be against abortion. It doesn't matter. And when I say believer, I mean I believe, I a true Christian and a true, authentic, Bible believer who takes the Bible Scripture seriously, will always they should always be against abortion. Law uh, is right, and God is the law that should take we have no right It can be innocent
0: people. Innocent individuals. We have about nine minutes left in the program tonight. Pastor, I heard someone mention today along the lines of people being stuck in their homes and people who have are struggling with particular addiction, whether it be pornography or whatever it may be. Maybe it's an addiction to television. Uh, what advice do you have for the individual who feels like they are just constrained? They're not able to get out and go to the beach and do some of those activities to get their mind off of those activities. They're stuck in so their it, home. The
1: other thing about it is that now you're from six to six, is it?
0: Yes, yeah, six to six. So,
1: yeah. I mean, it doesn't pertain any longer. I mean, the person who is worried about that, it, it may be that the, the job is closed and they are only allowing certain... Uh, facial services etc etc it seems to be a physical tool to keep and the advantage is watch for a few for six to six so i don't think that is relevant in the long run because 24 hours because you've got some safety
0: you, got you can go by home and, 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 them and do time, But so because you feel it from state
1: to state. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not. sure that's allowed, Pastor. I uh,
0: I think it's only you're only allowed out of your yard if you're going to an essential business such as grocery shopping. Or,
1: well, I am not too, uh I mean, I don't do it myself, I, uh, I just go to the church and right. do whatever I need to get done. But if I'm, I may be corrected in, in that aspect. But does that stop a person from driving by the beach and just sitting down, and you know myself and maybe talk with God, and I, I don't think that That that's that stopping having somebody holding accountable because people who are addicted, uh, whatever that form of addressed, what is the means of, of bringing them out of that habit, if to be held accountable to some individuals who we'll keep the tab on them and who we'll calls them and find out what's going on in their life and to ask very specific questions about that air uh, and who prays with them and uh, who we'll encourages them and, and uh, not only that that person already has that individual's telephone number to call at any moment when the temptation is it. so great that they just need someone to strengthen them, uh, to help them. So I would say the person who is you know, you use your time. Uh, that is allowed, and use it within the, the parameters that the law has set out. But uh, in the case of that, I would suggest to you that uh, if you have an addiction in television or whatever, uh, let somebody hold you comfortable. Uh, and I try trying, trying to try to get distraction, that addiction. See, I you talk about the expulsive love, the the falling explosive love. Uh, with the, uh, In other words, whatever you're addicted to, you have to find something that is far more appealing than that thing. You have to get a substitute. Definitely by the dog. Put off and put on. You you can't have a voice. Uh, You can't stop pornography unless you replace it with something else. You can't stop sex unless you replace it with something else if you're addicted. You can't stop alcohol unless you replace it with something else. Uh, And that is where you have to, uh, you know, find something that uh, could be placed at And, and uh, I can't... I mean, maybe we can do something in the picture at some point, time. maybe to can get to the long that running, but right off the couple of my uh, you know, I would say to people that one of the greatest things you can do right now uh, is that we haven't developed the habit of reading scripture and prayer. Why don't we use the time and kind the time to of discipline your life in the other matter of prayer and the reading of scripture? Uh, why don't you also use the science a good hobby something that maybe that could replace your job you might be without a job, but there are so many different courses you can go online uh that you find out i mean i, I don't know why people are not exploring these areas you should always want to learn something something that might be a benefit to you uh either during your retirement or something that there's no way you might have lost your job you should be preparing for something that you have. you've got to you know, look at different values again focus on one thing and then that thing falls away and then you have nothing to turn to. Um, it creative. Um, uh, a hobby that you've already done all your life, maybe art or writing or poetry, uh, maybe writing music, uh, as I mentioned prayer, I mentioned intercession, maybe selling a Bible book, uh, as I mentioned so many different courses you can do online that are within the reach of the point. Uh, Those are some of the things I would, I, I would, uh, I would suggest. That it's, but the main thing a person is addicted is to find a person who holds them comfortable and who is not afraid to confront them to find out what they're going to do with you, when were they tempted, to be used to that sensation. Uh, you know, and then you try them and they pray about it. Uh, and then, you know, to get incremental steps of moving away from this, this type of thing. But you have to find something that's a substitute Once there's a void that the is there that's created and it's not filled with something, uh, you always revert back to your previous state. And and you remember the parable when it said that you know, a demons are cast out because you furnish and you pray. And then after period of time, the seven evil spirits brings even worse spirits, but then the same amount is worse than before. Of course, the once there is a fill your knife and praying. The strong man uh, can only conquer the house if stronger conquered and we want to occupy it before. And that's where the Father's coming Christ in your life even victory over whatever addiction you have. So that is, that's all the fact that a few things that I could, uh, I could mention. Um, I mean, the other we uh, can we can talk about, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, says that we should think on these things. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, rather than focus on things that are be uh, like dark and evil, he says, think on things that are positive, thoughts on things that are true, things that are noble, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are excellent, things that are praise-worthy. In other words, your brain is where your thoughts are formed. Your thoughts influence your feelings. Your feelings influence your actions. But the only way to change you even change your feelings is to change your thought life. And the only thing you talk about is the like, union mind. That's where the word of God uh, comes in. And then, you know, listen to some good Christian music as well. And this a chance to really get in there and get the, the word of God in a lot of these good spiritual songs to build the soul. And then uh, maybe you can join a vital group online if there's a vital group that's going on. And what about regular focus, seeing what way you can help your neighbors? Um, you know, Focus on yourself is not going to make you feel much more drab but focus on others and try to help people. Um, I think that would be, in many ways, um, just make a shop, put your neighbor. Uh, maybe prepare a meal for your neighbor. Maybe offer the.
0: Sorry, we lost Pastor again on the phone line. The name of the program is That's Truth. I trust that you have been encouraged by all that has been shared with Pastor, by Pastor Murphy tonight. Uh, we are broadcasting from the island of Antigua. I'm going to just go ahead and wrap up the program a little bit early here since there's only 60 seconds left in the program. Thank you for listening to That's Truth tonight. We trust that you will join us again next week as we continue and pick up with our topic of loneliness. I apologize that we weren't able to cover it tonight. We had a lot of questions. I won't ever apologize for an interactive program. Uh, We are very thankful for your interaction. Thank you for listening. Wherever you're listening, whether it's Canada, the UK, Antigua, Dominica, Anguilla, Barbados, Trinidad, I know we have listeners in each of those locations, and I know that no matter where you're listening, you are encouraged by what is shared here on That's Truth. God bless you. Have a wonderful night, and keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse for the best in Christian programming. And I would encourage you that if you have a particular topic that you would like covered, once we have finished the topic of loneliness, we would love for your interaction. We would love to uh, be able to cover topics that are specifically, we won't mention that you suggested it or where you're from, but we would love to cover topics that will be as applicable as possible for you. You can WhatsApp or text those suggestions to 268-782-1454 or you could just call the station during regular operating business hours and we will make a note of it and pass it along to Pastor Murphy for consideration have a blessed night stay safe thank you for joining us for today's program